0: G'day. This is an abridged version of the episode that you can hear in full by signing up at uncomfortableconversations.substack.com slash subscribe. Enjoy the freebie. This is a special bonus episode of Uncomfortable Conversations. It's from the archive and it's it's a bonus content which is just for subscribers. So thank you for being a subscriber. Thank you for actually pulling your finger out and bothering to join the community. And this is of the benefits that that you're getting. This is a conversation that I had on my last podcast, We The People Live, in 2017. And uh, without further ado, I will just introduce it. Obviously, needless to say, all of the topical references that we may talk about are old, but it's still well worth listening to. I hope you enjoy it. Regular programming coming next week. Today, a very special one-on-one with a man who needs no introduction, but I'll give him one. Anyway, so that's courteous. Louis Theroux is one of the most beloved broadcasters in the English-speaking world, thanks to his captivating TV documentaries, in which he parachutes into odd subcultures or entirely unodd everyday cultures and unveils their weirdness and their humanity by playing the role of the inquisitive outsider, the innocent alien transplanted down to planet Earth. What better fit, then, as a target of his curiosity than a community that quite literally believes we are aliens transplanted to planet Earth? Louis Theroux's new feature documentary is entitled My Scientology Movie. Uh, Louis, thanks for being on We The People Live.
1: Thank you for having me, Josh. It's great to be here.
0: Now, um, every time that I need to fill out my occupation on a customs form on a plane, I scratch my head a little bit and have to make something up. Uh, um, Everyone in Britain and Australia already knows who you are, but some people in America, uh, I feel, still don't. So for them, what are you, Louis?
1: I'm a documentary maker and a journalist, although I don't direct documentaries. I appear in them as a reporter and a writer. But I do it in a participatory way. So I go into worlds that are, are in some way extreme or offbeat or involve high levels of emotional and psychological angst. And I attempt to form relationships with the participants thereof. I really do try to get to know people who maybe many outsiders have only seen as um, sort of controversial or, or demonized figures or figures who are little understood. Over the years, I've done many different documentaries for TV. I've done two on the Westboro Baptist Church in which I spent several weeks uh, more or less uh, alongside them and uh, inside their homes. I've done one on neo-Nazis in California. I've done the the porn industry in L.A. I've done gangster rap, wrestling,
0: uh, gambling in Las Vegas and many, many more. One of the things that I love about hopping on a Qantas flight is, is going and seeing if there are any new Louis Theroux's that have dropped so that I can binge-watch them across the, the Pacific. And the number of different scenarios that you end up putting yourself in is... Um, well, let me put it this way. It strikes me that, that there are two types of things that you do, but that much of your appeal is in, on the one hand, making things that strike us as natural seem peculiar, and on the other hand, making things that strike us as peculiar seem natural so as you say the westboro baptist church everyone thinks that that's crazy but when you go there it becomes somewhat understandable and conversely there are everyday things like the prison system which we take for granted as being normal but when you go there i i, end, I finish watching the episode and i think well that's deeply weird that we have this thing do you think of those two sort of missions as being related projects or are they just accidental corollaries of the same project
1: um, well, I sometimes say that the weirdest thing about weird people is how normal they are, which is, on the one hand, it's kind of just something that sounds cool. But what it means, I think, is that when you're among people who uh, you've gone to seek out because they do or are involved in something that's absolutely outside the mainstream, you come to be surprised by how, in many respects, they are just regular people. Like the Phelps clan, the Westboro Baptist Church, they... They do their tickets and, and they have horrendous signs with anti-gay messages that they wave at the funerals of soldiers and celebrities, which is horrendous. But then they go home and they cook Chinese food. Right. And they sit around and um, listen to pop music or watch TV, sort of junk TV of the type that everyone else would watch. And, you know, do things that suddenly seem all the more weird for the fact that the person doing them is someone who, um, just minutes ago was screaming at a funeral <clears throat> I think the other thing to remember is that weird behavior usually comes from a place of very relatable human impulses you know mm. that we are all whether it's me or you or someone in a neo-nazi group looking to be somehow the heroes of our own lives and to get our emotional needs met albeit in dysfunctional ways I think there's something in the human condition that is weird, you know? Mm. I think the, the I don't think it's ever been throughout human history a society that did not have crime, that probably there's never been one that didn't have addiction or some kinds of sexual weirdness. And that, that it seems to me, you know, that even the condition of being mortal, if you like, the idea that you are alive and that you will one day die, <clears throat> you know, that's that in itself is just a, a very bizarre existential position to be in. <clears throat> so there's no shortage of material, and um, I never tire of experiencing that kind of these other lives, which somehow make me feel slightly better about my own life. Somehow,
0: <laughs> do they? There are a couple of things I want to follow up on. There, firstly, do you you mentioned mortality and that and the weirdness of that as an existential state to be in? Do you think that gives rise to some of the pathologies that you look at?
1: I would think so. I mean, I have no professional training in psychology or philosophy. I studied history at university. So all I can go on is my kind of my own instincts about from people from what I've read and seen and and, uh, the people I've talked to in my documentaries. People, the reasons people tend to give for their beliefs are usually not the reason why they believe the things they do. I mean, uh, it's almost a sort of Richard Dawkins type question. You know, I think many of our psychological behaviors come from our heritage as sort of Darwinian survivors over the years, you know, and that we're conditioned in certain ways to um, to be, um, I don't know, to sort of to impress our mates, to have survival strategies, to, to kind of vent our strength in various ways, but also to be, You've got this countervailing impulse to be social creatures. I mean, I'll I'll be totally honest, Josh, I'm a little out of my depth on this stuff. (laughs) I I just know that people behave behave in in ways that seem absolutely um, illogical and disconnected from um, our normal understanding of things, but that that isn't just common to, you know, delusional people on site wards or even Scientologists. You've got Christians who believe that, you know, the communion wafer turns into uh, the body of Jesus, well on do a they Louis, basis. Do,
0: do, this is another question there's so much there that I want to unpack, but to what and I also will i'll push back on your claim that you 're not an expert on this because there are different kinds of expertise and I, uh, and the the wisdom that that I get from watching you engage, as I say, like an alien who's just been transplanted into these communities is a different kind of wisdom, but a wisdom nonetheless than what you would get from di- from having a psychologist or a psychiatrist diagnose precisely what it says that these people are suffering from in the diagnostic manual, right? I mean, we are humans as well as, we, we are complex, messy emotional creatures as well as merely being brains in a, in a, in a vat. And you sort of, you, you prod at the former in really interesting ways. So I think you've probably gleaned something over your career about, about the reasons why we do the things that we do. But has it, has it made you in any way more of a, you mentioned that we, the weird things that we do are all stemming out of sort of common Desires or common conditions has it made you any more of a a relativist? Towards the way that people behave to see them all acting out in these very very different ways whether it's drug use or whether it's pornography or whether it's Religion or whatever it is Or has it made you more able to retain a sense of your own self about what is right and what matters?
1: Um, These are really that's a really good question, and and it's not an easy one to answer. I think um, you know, it's almost a case of, of both. I, I, I definitely feel that when you come to examine the first principles of human behavior, right, you start to realize that, that in many cases they're on a, a, a sort of shaky foundation, right? And that, in other words, that the things we think of of, our, of as our most fundamental um kind of code of ethics or systems of belief they aren't really founded on anything philosophically that strong a lot of these things things like human rights or you know that you shouldn't torture or enslave these are systems of ethics that are you know are kind of evolved in late you know in the late modern period or the Early modern period in, in in Western society, you know, there's a sort of enlightenment and all of these things that we hold dear. Are, I'm aware from speaking to people, you know, they a racist will tell you, you know, it's only now in the late in the early 21st century that racism is viewed as weird. Like we have racists have not been considered weird, mm. putting it very bluntly. But there's a sense in which racism
0: has not really been considered weird in Western society for the last 2,000 years, if you like. Well, and in some ways, it's only now considered weird in Western society. It's been the status quo assumption of every tribe throughout history, really, hasn't it?
1: Right. And, and in fact, um, you know, human sexuality, you could go either way. You could say, actually, for 2,000 years or at least 1,500 years of Christian hegemony, uh, homosexuality has been viewed as a, a, a mortal sin, pu- punishable by death, um, in in Christendom if you like you could also say and then in ancient Greece there were different mores uh, homosexuality was or, or or sort of pederastic homosexuality was viewed as the ultimate uh, example of love the highest form of love that humans were capable of expressing so you know I'm giving a long-winded answer but that, that does tempt you towards um, kind of relativistic I suppose mm-hmm. way of thinking but in the end you know I feel as though you can get too philosophically kind of prissy and and and, and that you don't you know paralyzed if you think too much in that way and, and and I you I think most of the time you do have a sense of of what abuse looks like and a sense of what bullying is that the as much as they might certain definitions might change in, in time and place you um, there's a sense in which one 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 knows when cruelty is taking place and so I, I do try more and more as I work to resist easy moral judgments but also to really take a kind of responsible position and I really don't try new systems of thought like i'm, I'm I, I don't I try not to be overly political or, or impose a political framework or a sort of theological framework or even a particularly thought-out humanistic framework in terms of how I approach the stories. I really try to see things for what they are in a clear way on the ground when I'm immersed in them.
0: Do you think that we are getting better or worse at getting in touch with that sense, that sort of true sense that you're pointing at inside ourselves, which knows what's good or bad or right or wrong simply on the basis i'm not talking about some kind of spiritual or divine sense i just mean the sort of common sense that you're talking about that you kind of have a little bullshit detector inside you that knows when someone else is hurting or when you're being a bit of a shit um i feel like politically and culturally at the moment we live in such an amazing era that i fear that maybe we're not getting as good as we used to be about being in touch with when we're harming other people or wronging other people or not hearing other people do you have a sense of that
1: It's a really, that's a hard question to answer because, you know, I'm only really exposed for the most part, at least firsthand to, you know, American culture, to an extent, what's going on in Europe, uh, stories I've done in Africa a little bit. But, you know, if if you're talking, if you're talking globally, I'm not really sure. I do think that there are markers of progress that um, really do indicate, you know, positive change. I think the attempts to wipe out things that are just just on the face of it and quite clearly bad, like female, female genital mutilation, um, the persistence of slavery, the stigmatization and, and torture and persecution of children seen as witches in certain um, African nations. Um, I think there's been progress on... Uh, gay rights, and you know, I, I I think all of these are are positive indicators. But it's easy to be glib because you know the world is so vast. You got who knows what's going on in China, you know uh there's some signs that it seems to be opening up that there's more freedom more environmental awareness but i just don't really feel qualified to to make a big statement on that Mm. i
0: mean i guess i was alluding more locally to just the more parochially to the politics that we've seen in the west with with brexit and and trump and the rise of the alt-right and the rise of marine le pen maybe in france
1: i think on that stuff it's too early to say we're still really in the immediate aftershocks of something and Time will tell how, whether that's just a sort of localized blip. I mean, on the Trump thing, don't you slightly feel that it's the last gasp of a sort of Christian, white, ethno-nationalist uh, impulse and that just on pure demographic basis alone, um, that that that's going to be uh, a thing of the past in 20, 30, 40 years? Like, just the numbers, the rates at which different Groups are reproducing means that it won't it won't be feasible for much longer for a um, a president to run a candidacy based on a, a sort of a coded appeal to um, to
0: white people. Yeah, I don't know what I think about that, Louis. I, I, I think I think you, the, the the data thirteen percent um, black people in the
1: U.S. As I understand it, about thirteen percent, but a rising rapidly rising number of Latino. Um, I don't know. Yeah, you tell me what you think, because it's not something I've studied. But that, that was my sense.
0: Yeah, I think I think your sense is right. If you assume that the that white nationalism is intrinsic to to the problem, I, I think your your claim hinges on uh, on a faith that authoritarianism and strongman politics can't have a larger community of people who are not just uh, who are not just brought together by their race or ethnicity, but also by a sense of being besieged from without by forces beyond their control, be those economic forces or forces of another religion like Islam. And I just worry that the coalition of the concerned could be expanded to include Latinos and could be potentially expanded. I mean, I don't know. I'm just sort of spitballing. But it it, it strikes me that there's something more than just white nationalism going on. There's something more than what would you
1: say is the common factor then? What is the kind of the core appeal of something like Trump or Brexit?
0: I think there is a sense that the world has been stitched up for a number of decades by phony elites who have done a deal between Wall Street and Washington, D.C. and lobbyists and whatever their counterparts in the UK are, um, that have systematically prevented decent, honourable working people from getting ahead. They've dismantled uh, a Western civilization, or they've started chipping away at a Western civilization that was one of the greatest things that humankind had ever produced and had its kind of apex in the 1950s, I suppose, with the nuclear family and traditional Judeo-Christian values. And that uh, an entire regime is being is coming apart at the seams, thanks in part to globalization, thanks in part to technology and, and robotics, um, and that nobody is hearing anybody scream that people are screaming into the into the ether about about all of this disruption that they don't want to be happening. And both left and right keep trotting out the same platitudes and cliches. And um, meanwhile, the Middle East is in flames and bombs are going off. Uncomfortable Conversations is produced by Stefan Postuma. Follow me, Josh Sepps, on Twitter and Instagram for all the latest. May your day be fruitful, your mind humble, your enemies generous, and your conversations perfectly, sparklingly, delectably uncomfortable.